politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, and property. The few of you who still believe in that here at CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Hurwitz, back here to end off this very volatile week. It's Friday, and the thing is, it really only takes a few people, a small, irate minority, to make a difference. I want you guys to never, ever forget that, and we are seeing this vividly play out. You see, the good thing about being right about what's going to happen is that you're right. It's going to happen. So you have the foreknowledge to prepare for what's going to happen. You see, when you have two sides, and one side is very radical and destructive, and they gain power, and they start doing bad stuff, well, if you are right that their stuff is going to cause bad things, they will fall out of favor. They're going to fall out of favor with the voters. In any democracy, as fledgling as it is, but any kind of democratic system, a malignant power structure, okay, an elite governing class, they absolutely need a controlled opposition to continue doing what they're doing because commensurate with how successful they are in dominating as a majority is how much there's going to be a pendulum swing blowback to what they're doing from what's now a minority. It might be a minority. You could get crushed 70-30 in an an election. All right, you come in, you have a mandate, and you do what with it? You do unpopular things, you'll you'll get thrown out. And that is why they have to make sure that that 30 really is not a 30, it's really 100%. Now, you can never gain 100% support out in the open because it just doesn't happen. So you have to create a fake opposition, and that jujitsu's all the natural energy of those who don't like the status quo policies into this black hole subversive force, and then you could continue going on in perpetuity. And this is why we're at a situation where we're like choking on a, on a bone where it doesn't go down, but it's not. we're not able to spit it up It's like, okay, well, either we block their policies or they get implemented and it's so bad, then eventually we come back to the other end. No, we get nothing because that's what the Republican Party is. And then the few kind of minority within the minority that recognize that, oh my gosh, the Republican Party is a problem. It's a uniparty. We need to change it. They got sucked in to an an even greater controlled opposition, which is Donald Trump. And that's why we have a situation where... You know, people like Bob Good are trash, and Elise Stefanik is great. Axios and Political are reporting he's considering Nikki Haley and uh, um, Elise Stefanik, among others, as they said, and J.D. Vance is the top three. So obviously two of those three are unacceptable, but he's able to consider it, and nothing will be done to him. So, folks, you need to understand that when you actually have a real opposition, okay, it is shocking what you could accomplish. I want to I empower you guys. I would feel less down 
If it's like, it's screwed, it's got to be this way. This is just how the system works. We'll never succeed. But as long as you retain a distinct minority that doesn't have someone wearing its jersey and muddling the lines, you could call foul on it and eventually build a movement that's much more robust against it. But you have some, you have to have something from which to light the fire. You have to have a little bit of a flame, a little bit of a spark. What controlled oppositions do is stamp out that spark so there's nothing to work with. It's dead wood. And that's where we are with Congress. So I want to I wanna juxtapose Congress to South Carolina. So last night, we obviously had, or yesterday afternoon, every single Democrat joined with half the Republicans, more, you know, super majority in the Senate, and just enough in the House to vote to give Biden everything he wants. And by the way, it was so funny. Here's the irony. They had to rush out before the snowstorm to prevent a so-called government shutdown, and then they leave, and then now the government is shut down today because of the snowstorm. Complete joke. And by the way, just to show what failure theater this is, so 107 Republicans voted for it, 106 voted against it. And as you well know, it's worse than that. There's many more that are hope yes, vote no, because um, we have now confirmed it's Tim Wahlberg from Michigan went down to the well. Originally, it was actually the other way. It was 107 against. And Republicans made a rule that they can't have a majority of the majority voting against the leadership. So they had Tim Wahlberg um, go down and flip his vote. He's a Republican from Michigan. So they got their you know, 107. If they needed a couple of other people, they would have gotten that as well. So here we are, eight years into MAGA, and we are worse off than we were before. Again, I, like I said yesterday, the failure theater, the betrayal is worse. Mike Johnson has put every major bill on the suspension calendar with no debate. That those are the type of of bill of bills that you use, like for example, to name a post office. It used to be once in a while they would screw us with a big bill on that. Now it's only doing that. Used to be we'd get something. Remember, people forget that we did secure with only control of the House in 2011 the Budget Control Act, which did create, I mean, ultimately it wouldn't have made that much of a difference, but it was a downward trajectory in spending. And a certain presidency uh, by crafting and then signing the Ryan Murray budget uh, deal kind of reversed that even before COVID. But, you know, you're not allowed to talk about that. Shut up, Daniel. The primary's over. And this is the thing. What they are trying to do is stamp out any degree of liberty forces. I want to make something very clear if I didn't make it clear until now. There's two levels of saying the primary is over. There's a level of saying the primary is over and Donald Trump inevitably is the nominee and, you know, you want him to beat Biden. Okay, that's one level. But then there's another level of shut the heck up and no matter what he does or says, you're going to take it up the Wuhan and enjoy it. That you can't even nudge him to the right. That you can't even say, look, 
Don't pick Elise Stefanik. Don't, by the way, Elise Stefanik voted against the budget bill for the first time ever. A clear sign she's in contention. And because we've been hitting her all week on it. So she, um, again, it's failure theater. It's like Mike Johnson and Steve Scalise look at Elise and it's like, yeah, Elise, I know know you got to do what you got to do. It's complete controlled opposition. Complete controlled opposition. So, you know, we need to maintain some degree of, of, of support of people that are going to call the balls and strikes. You could vote for Trump, organize for him, ballot harvest for him. In fact, you're going to need to do that because he already said he's not going to do it himself. And Rona McDaniel, his uh, hand-picked RNC chair, sure as heck is not doing that. But we cannot allow this failure theater to continue going on. And we cannot allow a scenario where Bob Good goes down in a primary, but every one of these jerks that just screwed us wins re-election. That's not okay. And that's what we're going to focus on. But I want you guys to know it doesn't have to be this way. What the South Carolina Freedom Caucus is showing is that when you take off the jerseys and you wear a different jersey and you don't allow Republicans to use our name and clout to confuse the voters and you treat the Republican establishment as if they're the Democrats, which they are, as if they're a different party, which they are, and you start building a distinct brand and you build a grassroots to get smart and focus on the legislative process, focus on the amendments, stuff begins to change. You had this two days ago. Initially, Representative Micah Kasky tabled a Freedom Caucus amendment in South Carolina that it was a bill to revoke doctor's licenses for a year uh, if they medically castrated a, a, a child. And 63 Republicans, meaning more than half the Republicans, voted to table the amendment, meaning they voted on the side of the trannies, on the Democrat side. Now, a lot of people think that because Riley Gaines tweeted this out, they went and changed and they actually voted to support the amendment and, and it passed. It's, it has now passed, which is good news. Now, I, I don't want to take away from Riley Gaines and I'm glad she did that. But um, what I'm trying to tell you, it wasn't really just Riley Gaines from what I heard. The South Carolina Freedom Caucus has built a grassroots on the ground to fight this. Okay? They've built a grassroots movement that the public is now focused on the scoreboard, on the vote, the, the voting board. And they flash it immediately. They have lists. This is a movement. What a difference a movement makes. And then particularly that issue. We have built a movement on the tranny issue. Just like in years past, we had on life, low taxes, and guns. What a difference a movement makes. It's like we go around and we have all these fancy theories as to why it's not working and why it can't work and why the system's inevitably, you know, irrevocably corrupt and there's nothing we can do about it. I was never black-pilled. I was always red-pilled. There's a simple explanation. If you don't get on the playing field and there's only one movement focusing on its agenda in the way it matters at the time it matters, the the legislation, the budget, well, they're going to get it. It doesn't have to be this way. That's what they're showing. That's what DeSantis showed for his first term, you know, in in Florida as governor. 
that's what the South Carolina Freedom Caucus and some others now, you know, headed in that direction. We're having good news out of Louisiana. That's what they're showing. And that's our job. But if we're going to have a scenario where we stamp out even that minority, where we're going to start moving even the Freedom Caucus types to the left to accommodate Trump and even start primarying them if they didn't support him, that's a problem. Then we have nothing. You want to vote for the guy? Again, vote for him to your heart's content. I have no problem with voting for him against a Democrat. We could date game theory, you know, what ultimately happens over a four to eight year window with that. And then also we do have to recognize he, it's not our job. It's his job to stop being unappealing. By the way, well, I'll get to this on the other side of our commercial here, but electorally we are screwed. Again, if you're going to believe the polls, then you have to believe all the polls. And it's really bad, and we need an answer to that. That's not that's not saying, oh, the primary, Daniel, you're still fighting the primary. It's over. Well, it's over means we have a reconciliation, that you kind of understand the views of your opponents, but you're the nominee, and you go forward and you unite. But if you're going to elevate every rhino and primary Bob Good. And then have no ground game, no understanding of what will happen if you're convicted. Well, what do you, I I mean, shut up, Daniel, we have to win. I agree, we have to win. So we need an answer right now, 10 months before, so we don't wait until he gets convicted and we have 70% of the country voting against him. Anyway, with, it is now clear that the debt bomb is irrevocable, okay? That that is clear. We can't have a government shutdown. So it is clear our currency is going to hell in a handbasket. There is never a better time to invest in gold with Birch Gold. Um, Right now, I just got my tax returns. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you are as well this week. So you could start on your uh, 2023 tax returns. A lot of you like me will owe money because you'd rather owe owe the money and then see... uh, how you could prevent them from getting it rather than they automatically take it out. And one way is you put it into a an IRA. Rather than putting it into BlackRock and Vanguard and Fidelity, how about putting it into something of value by going to Birch Gold today and texting Nikki Haley VP. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's the promo code of some of my colleagues. Um, text Daniel to 989898, Daniel to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold and then call them because, folks, this thing is going down. It's not going to end and you better prepare with something of value by texting Daniel to 989898 today. Yeah, that's right. The the, the promo code Nikki Haley will be my colleagues. Um, It's funny. I was watching Clay and Buck. They're, they both put out on Twitter you know, Buck Sexton, Clay Travis, that they took over for Rush, they were almost saying what I'm saying. They were kind of making fun out of the Trump supporters that Trump is going to support, you know, elevate someone that, like Nikki, and you might grumble for 24 hours, but you'll accept it and then say it was a brilliant idea. But, hey, Clay and Buck, I, 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 I'm glad you understand that, but doesn't that kind of explain what you guys have been doing this past year by helping shut down the debate. See, see, that's another thing. There's one thing when you have a debate. 
these bastards shut down a debate and ensured that we never had one. So you can't have it all. You can't say we're the rhinos, but then you're going to pick the rhino for VP, not allow a debate over your record, not allow a debate over how you plan to win this election and your image, not allow a debate over what happens when you're, you're convicted, which we're all saying that you cannot win with a blue... um. You know, city jury. Oh, no, it's going to be the Supreme Court's going to overturn it. Oh, the same Supreme Court that refuses to get involved in any contentious issues. By the way, the Supreme Court just again refused to grant cert an appeal to another a Seventh Circuit saying that Indiana must allow boys in girls' bathrooms, mandating trannyism on red states. This is like the fifth tranny case that the Supreme Court screwed us in this past year. Maybe we'll get to that if we have time. Oh, that Supreme Court? So, folks, there's a special election in New York 3 because George Santos was kicked out. Republicans won that seat by seven and a half points. Nassau County, Long Island. It's a suburb, classic suburb, right? 2022. A new Emerson poll has the Dem up three points. So that in itself is a ten and a half point swing. But it's worse than that. The pollster noted that... Um, the Democrat has much greater enthusiasm. And if you look among the voters who are very likely to turn out, the Dem is up 14 points. Moreover, um, Biden's approval in this district, do you want to hear it? 33% approve, 59% disapprove. Yet, among the very likely voters, the Dem is up 14 points in that seat. It, everyone's like, Biden is so unpopular. Dude, I, you, you would have told me this, and we, we did say this in 2022. We're like, oh my gosh, the Democrats are going to get crushed. But what has happened in every election since then is that despite Biden being in the toilet, at the end of the day, there's something, some factor that is impervious that they continue to vote for a Dem over a Republican in every suburban district. Now, I get it. I know, I know, I know that the Republican candidate in this district is really new. No one ever heard of her. And this other one has been elected to the legislature and, you know, for many years in that area has more name ID. I, I get it. I get it. There's all these excuses. And each special election does have its peculiar uh, factors. But you take Every special election plus the main elections of both 2022 and 2023. And you put it together. And it paints the same picture. Which is this. That despite the fact that you have the most corrupt, inept, unpopular Democrat and Democrat policies going on. That side by side when you pull the invasion and the economy, they pull bad. They continue to win. And not only that, the enthusiasm gap is reversed. Typically, it's the, the party out of power is enthusiastic to get back in. It, from a political science perspective, this is unbelievable. And again, it's not just polls. We have every election result backs this up um, really since 2018, but certainly since uh, 2022. And that despite that gap, it just doesn't matter. Let me give you another example. Let me give you another example. Okay? There's a new Maris poll out in New Hampshire. 
that shows Biden's approval rating is just at 38%, which is horrible for a state like New Hampshire. But it shows him beating Trump by seven points. How many more examples do you need to see? So stop with this business of, okay, it's not, it's not the Santa's supporters that are going to tank Trump in a general election. It's the same suburban swing voters that have we've lost since 2017 Virginia, you know, off-season elections. It's the same thing. That's not my problem. I didn't do that. Image matters at some point, and his psychotic behavior is doing it. So if you want him to win, tell him to stop with the rhinos, stop with the psychotic behavior, get on message, build a ground game. Like, what, what do you want from me? And stop endorsing rhinos and attacking good conservatives. And let's at least build a bench to knock off the rhinos in the primary and work on the legislatures. You know, Megyn Kelly, and by the way, they're all dripping this out. Megyn Kelly said, quote, he personally really must win if he doesn't want to go to jail. If that's your situation, I think you might be thinking MAGA is going to get over Nikki Haley if I tell them to get over Nikki Haley. They're all openly saying that with joy. There's no embarrassment. That means you're stamping out the last opposition. That is the definition of a controlled opposition. I'm supposed to remain silent? Shut up, Daniel. I'm sick of the Bushes and the Nikki Haley's. We have to beat them. So we're like, okay, let's beat them. I, I did this for eight years with Trump. Four years as president. We're like... We can't be more pro-MAGA than Trump is. Stop elevating the people you say you hate. Stop elevating the policies you say you hate. Get on message. Get focused. That's not my job. That's not my problem. You did that. You broke it. You own it. You fix it. It's that simple. It's indefensible. You could, you could back Trump in a general election and still say, hey, Trump, Stop attacking Bob Good and stop promoting rhinos. I mean, is it that hard? I mean, am I a bad person for thinking that? The primary is over, Daniel. Okay, but but what does that have to do with anything? You could still guide your guy. I mean, but look at the contrast in South Carolina. Look at the contrast. The problem we've always had is that they wear our jerseys. And now the Trump movement has muddled the jerseys. But we have to be distinct. What has happened in all these red states for years is that Republicans fell asleep. Voters fell asleep. Because, oh, you know, I'm sure glad I don't live in California. We got a Republican legislature. We're good to go. And then you have the Uniparty. They campaign on our issues, but then go and do the bidding of all the special interests. The Freedom Caucus in South Carolina took it to the next level. They didn't just create a Freedom Caucus where, okay, we're all kumbaya, we're the same party, yada, yada, but we're going to complain about issues, but then ultimately we're going to hold hands. No. They took it to the next level, and they declared war. If you look at their Twitter feed, they're literally treating the GOP conference like the Democrats. It's it's a full-scale war, exposing them, boom, 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 boom. And we literally forced them to change votes on this tranny issue. That is what a movement looks like. Just know that moving people to the right makes a difference. 
You don't say, shut up, you're harming the Republicans. Trump should be treated no greater or lesser than McCain, Romney, or anyone else that, if they're with us, support them. If they're not, nudge them. To, you want the Democrat to win? No, no um, but if he elevates Nikki Haley or Elise Stefanik, he's the one getting the Democrat to win. So by me saying, please don't pick her, what we're saying is don't let the Democrats win. Believe me, I would want nothing else to be true than Trump to beat the Democrats. Okay? We all we all don't want the Democrats there. But you have to demonstrate how you're going to win. Stop doing the things that has created this seven-year losing streak. And then actually make MAGA be MAGA. Yeah, I'm saying that's not my problem. <laughs> it's like, I, I, I wish this weren't true. But the worst you can do is say, shut up. Nobody else is allowed to do anything that is not in concert with Lord Savior. Because if you do that, then we, then we have zero opposition. I'm not talking about opposition to Trump. I'm talking about opposition to the system, of which he's clearly a part of, but whatever. So this is the deal. But just remember, it doesn't have to be this way. If you have, as long as you have, a consistent, distinct group operating as a party within a party, and this is really the blueprint. The problem is, how do you start, how do you start a new party out of nowhere? And, and, and the parties have made it very hard. They made a monopoly. But the South Carolina Freedom Caucus is rapidly reaching a point where either they're going to take over the party or they will have enough of a critical mass, unified, distinct movement that they'll be able to at some point pull the trigger, make a clean break, and run in their first cycle and Im- immediately be viable electorally to win in you know various parts of the state a three-way race. That's ultimately where we need to go, and we all know that. And by the way, that would be true with Trump. It would be true with Nikki Haley. It would be true if Ron DeSantis would be the GOP nominee. The GOP is the problem. And that's why like, there's kind of a part of me that, that, that is relieved. The GOP doesn't deserve Ron DeSantis. You're never going to fix that party the way it was anyway. And he just needs to take Florida to the next level. And be that national advocate that we haven't had but need. So so take Florida to the next level, but then be that voice against the establishment because Trump clearly is not going to be that. Like, really, what do you want from me? What Trump supporters, what do you want me to do? What do you like? I would love nothing else to be like, all right, you know, I my guy, you had your guy, but we both want the same thing. So all right, let's let's get it done. But then the next day is like his campaign manager says we're we're primarying the best conservative chairman of the Freedom Caucus in the House while endorsing every GD rhino. And then the top three picks for VP, two out of the three are the biggest leftists around. Like, I, I didn't do that. That, that, that. That's not my fault. That's your fault. That is your fault. That is your fault that you have no control. Because I could promise you this. Me and my friends, 
if Ron DeSantis would get the nomination, I could promise you our circle of influence would make sure that people like Elise Stefanik and Nikki Haley would not be even even a, a, a fake, fleeting consideration for a running mate. Okay? I could promise you that. These other guys are either too unfocused to do it, they don't care, or more likely, the men and his people are so effing liberal and flawed, they don't have enough influence to stop him from doing it. Okay? And he knows that. And this is the problem. This is what I don't understand. Everyone's laughing about it. Like it's a joke. Ha ha ha. He could do anything. Ha ha. He could do amnesty. He could do jailbreak. He could he could sign he could make Paul Ryan great again. He could endorse Mitch McConnell. He could endorse every rhino. He could endorse against the best conservatives. He could pick Nikki Haley as VP and you'll be happy with it. Are are, are you okay with being disrespected? That's not what unity means. Unity is an is a freaking two-way street. It's a two-way street. I'm very pragmatic, and those of you who have been around this show for years know that. I'm very pragmatic about things like this. But you, you got to give us something to grasp onto. Something. And my concern is, if we allow that to go on, we will stamp out things like the South Carolina Freedom Caucus. Because you're embarrassing Henry McMaster, the governor, and the governor supports Mr. Trump. You see what I mean? We cannot get to a point where we where, where the fealty is so strong that we that we now can't have our best guys moving forward let me just say this let me just say this i won't get specific but maybe next week i will there are some very good people in congress i am watching that are pulling punches on mike johnson and if you understand who they are and the dynamic, it's very bizarre. And I have a suspicion that this is part of the kumbaya that now it's going to become not only can't you say anything about Trump, but now you can't say anything about the Trump establishment. So an attack on Mike Johnson is an attack on Trump. And if you're going to do that, that is a degree of controlled opposition stamping out the, the last vestige of legitimate, pure you know, alternatives we have that even the McConnell-Bush-era Republicans never did. And that's got to stop. And that leads me to our special guest. So, folks, yesterday something really peculiar happened. I mean, truly, truly amazing. You had the Senate pass a terrible budget bill affirming every radical policy invasion, inflation, indoctrination, you name it. You know, we're going to do it for another two months, which means that by then they'll do it for another six months because it's going to continue without any reforms. As if the 2022 elections never occurred, as if they never won the House. But you say, well, you know, that's Senate Republicans. Okay, so even though Democrats have, uh, you know, 51 seats, but they really have more like 80 seats, and that's par for the course. And indeed, that's kind of the margin that they had. But then it goes to the House. Now, imagine having an invasion of this magnitude where Democrats are starting to get concerned politically, where it's an 80-20 issue, and you have this CR floating on, 
We have a lot of problems. We have 10 different things we want to do. We have the spending levels. Our next guest, Congressman Bob Good, is the new chairman of the Freedom Caucus. And he went up to the, to the speaker with a simple idea. He said, look, what if we agree to continue funding the same spending levels and the Green New Deal and every policy we hate and the weaponization of government? But just one thing, just attach an amendment, attach an amendment onto this bill, which is HR2, just simply to prohibit catch and release and the border invasion and send it back to the Senate. I was like, no, we can't have a government shutdown even for a day when, incidentally, the government shut down today because it's snowing. This is unbelievable, but there's something even more unbelievable. Almost none of those people will even get a primary challenger, and if they do, they will breeze through their primary with support of the establishment, all of the establishment. Yet Bob Good, who was the one who was trying to fight for fight against the invasion, he is facing a primary challenge. I mean, this is, my friends, if this is how it's going to be, we're done. And it cannot go down. I want you to go to bobgoodforcongress.com. You know what to do. If, if now not only can we not knock off the bad guys, but the 3.4 good guys we have are now in trouble for standing up, there's something really wrong there. So go to bobgoodforcongress.com, and he's here with us in the flesh. Hey, Bob, thanks so much for joining us again here, and Happy New Year. Thank you, Daniel. It's great to be with you. Happy New Year to you. Appreciate you having me again. So, you know, let's let's start off with Washington, and we'll go back to your Virginia 5 district. Um, did I did I get that right, that, that they wouldn't even fight on just that one issue? Yeah, I want to give credit to my good friend Andy Harris from Maryland, who, who actually— was the one who came up with this proposal. We were meeting together, House Freedom Caucus, a meeting on Wednesday evening uh, before the, the expected vote on Thursday for the yet another continuing resolution, the third one now in this fiscal year. You know, we have, we passed, it's, it's crazy, as you know, we passed short-term spending bills to keep in place the Biden-Pelosi-Schumer spending policies and spending levels that are destroying the country so that we can bridge a gap to a longer-term spending bill that will keep in place the Biden-Pelosi-Schumer spending levels and policies that we run against, that we campaign against, and for which we give, ask the American people to give us their vote so that we can try to you know, uh, uh, overturn, if you will, or reverse, but then we don't do it. So Andy Harris, my friend from Maryland, and I met with the speaker uh, yesterday uh, late morning uh, to say, just as you summarized, to say, you know what? We, we realize as much as we have tried, we cannot stop uh, the suspension of the rules vote, uh, joining hands with Democrats, doing what the Senate wants to do, what Schumer wants to do, and you know, continuing again the Pelosi-Biden-Schumer policies and spending levels in place and passing them uh, yet again in this continued resolution. We, we don't have the votes to block it. We've tried. We realize a significant number of Republicans will join almost all Democrats. But hey, to your point, why don't we at least attach a border security provision, a strong, robust HR2, essentially, uh, with, by the way, enforcement mechanisms in place, uh, metrics, in other words, where Biden wouldn't get some of the money uh, that's in the spending bill unless he performed on the reduction so, of, of the border uh, invasion. So it wouldn't just be policy that he could just ignore, he and my orcas together, as they're doing now, 
uh, laws that he could ignore, but actually he would have to have performance metrics to get uh, some of the money. Why don't we just do that? And the reason the timing of it that we came up with was because the day before on Wednesday, you may have seen, we did a you know, sort of a sense of Congress resolution, H.R. 957, that denounced the Biden administration's open border policies, condemned the national security and public safety crisis along the southern border, and urged President Biden to end his open border policy. So pretty strong language. We had 14 Democrats join all Republicans in voting for that. And every poll indicates, coming out of Iowa or national polls, indicates that this is the number one issue. The American people are appropriately uh, or growingly, uh, increasingly, I should say, at least concerned about this border invasion. So let's capitalize on this and either expose these Dems who want to say they're against it but won't vote for it, or hopefully they vote for it and we can actually pass the CR with at least getting border security uh, 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 policy uh, along with it. And Essentially, we were, uh, and to his credit, the speaker did consider it. Uh, we did think we had a shot with it. And then ultimately, uh, the calendar got us because they had announced no votes today. And I'm in D.C. today. I'm going to be in D.C. tomorrow. I'm here for the, for the March for Life. You know, I didn't leave town, ready here to do the work. Not many members are here with me, but, uh, and plan again to be here tomorrow to participate in some more events related to the March for Life. Uh, but because we had announced it, uh, Wednesday night or early Thursday morning that we weren't going to have votes today on Friday. They couldn't get it done in the same day, so we decided not to add the border security. But Daniel, forgive me for going long here. Wait, 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 Bob, Bob. There, there's something there's something subtle but very important that you glossed over. Um, but I think I think you agree with this that what you're saying with the calendar is, and, and this is this is what's very important. See, the the government deadline, the funding deadline, would have ended Friday, you know, tonight at midnight. So what you're Correct. telling me is so visceral is their fear of a so-called government shutdown as opposed to a societal border, uh, you know, economic shutdown that they won't even at least try to have a little bit of a fight when the first two days of the lapse of funding would be Saturday, Sunday, which in itself is the level of government shutdown that would occur, you know, in a weekday. So you, you know, I'm saying it wouldn't even be relevant really until Monday. So at least kind of make them sweat. But so because before you came to Congress in the Boehner era, we would kind of do this. You would at least pretend like, and the media would be, oh, there's gonna be government shutdown, and then they'd kind of cave. But now we've gone backwards, where you can't even appear like you're ever gonna go to the deadline. Have you brought to the speaker's attention to your colleagues that if this is the mo? that you can never allow a deadline, an authorization, appropriation to ever go over a deadline. And the Democrats know that. And you tell them that very passionately, by the way. So that, let's say best case scenario, we win all three branches of government, which I think is is you know kind of going to be daunting. But we win all three branches. But we're not going to have anywhere near 60 votes in the Senate. So how do we ever get anything done? You're exactly right. That is the crux of the problem is an unwillingness to show courage, to show resolve, to show fight, and to take any risks or endure any discomfort. Uh, we are operating out of fear. As you know, if you fear the consequence of not reaching a deal or not reaching an agreement, 
more than your opponent fears the consequence of not reaching a deal or reaching agreement, and you're not willing to exercise walk-away leverage, meaning you're willing to walk away from a deal and, again, suffer whatever consequence there is to not reaching agreement, you will lose every time, and we have demonstrated that over and over again. And in fairness to the speaker, and he's culpable, but in fairness to the speaker, he does reflect the conference to some degree, and so I'm constantly trying to persuade the speaker to endure the risk and the discomfort of a shutdown if necessary, and it certainly is necessary, and, in, and encouraging and exhorting the conference to stand with and tell him we've got his back that we will endure that. So therefore, you're exactly right. The greatest fear is, well, and let's say we had done that very, or we had the votes and we could pass that border security package, I'm sorry, provision, add it to the terrible spending bill that was extended yesterday. Well, as we know, the Senate's not going to jump up and down and say, golly gee, you know what, we get to secure the border now. Schumer's not going to do that. So we would end up in a shutdown fight. And we tried to persuade the speaker that we can win that. The American people will be with us. I showed him a, uh, some poll numbers that we had gotten that I unofficially, if you will, from a, from a friendly national well-recognized poll company that did some uh, research for us as a favor. And it, they surveyed 1,000 Americans and it registered voters, not Republicans, and it showed 44 to 41 percent that these respondents said, yes, shut down the government in order to secure the border, 44 to 41. Now, what do you think it is for Republicans? Maybe it's 24% of Democrats, if that, and 64% of Republicans, you know, kind of doing the math that's half and half there. Uh, so we went into it. Uh, uh, the public is behind us, I should say, that the border is the most important issue. And it, it would have even been a partial government shutdown, you know, a little, little, little small sliver of it. Only four of the uh, 12 spending bills were in this tranche, if you will. And, and Andy Harris and I made the case to the speaker that there'd be very little, I'll say, harm or discomfort even for delaying these for a week or two or what have you. Wow. No, no, you're right. That's a good point because the first two weeks, it would only be four of the 12. So that's, yeah, we that's forgot right. that because the other stuff is February 2nd. Yeah, it was agriculture, milk on VA, uh, energy and water, and T-HUD or transportation and housing urban development. But here's, here's how bad the bill was, Daniel, the spending bill. On the House floor yesterday, when there was debate for the bill, now it was reduced debate, it was only going to be 40 minutes, 20 minutes per side instead of the typical 30 minutes per side. And typically between the majority and minority, I mean, since we're in the majority, the Republican Party for the bill, speaking for it, the Democrat Party speaking against it, taking turns going back and forth for an hour or 30 minutes per side. In this particular case, no Democrat spoke against the bill. Not one. The Republicans <laughs> almost didn't speak for the bill. Chip Roy claimed, our good friend from Texas, our one of the most outstanding Congress members, claimed the time, because the Democrats weren't going to use it, to use the 20 minutes. And then he and I and a couple of our other colleagues used that 20 minutes to attack the bill uh, because the Democrats weren't going to use it. And the Republican leadership... The, the, the chairperson, Kay Granger from Texas, essentially, instead of using the debate time, just kept reserving her time, reserving her time and had very little to say to defend the bill. So we used all, all of our 20 minutes. And they just used – she would get up each time essentially and just say, I reserve the remainder of my time and go back to Chip Roy. And it's telling. If all you know about the spending bill that we extended, uh, the continued resolution, I should say, if all you knew was this, the Democrats voted for it 207 to two. 
So 99 yes. point whatever percent of Democrats voted for it, and you make this case, how, you, you got the history better than anybody. You write about it more effectively than anybody does. It's a great help to us on the history, how long we've done this. But I don't know if it's ever been 207 to 2 before. Republicans yeah. voted for it 107 to 106. Now that was encouraging, uh, trying to give some hope here, because typically we've been in the 70 to 70. 90. And, you know, and didn't they it, get someone to flip, you know, to, yeah, to make it an official majority? <laughs> that's exactly right. They were running into – it wouldn't have prevented it from passing because it's not a, a House rule. But there's a Republican conference rule that we put in place a year ago in the negotiation with the former speaker that we needed to reinstate the majority of the majority that we don't bring to the floor and pass legislation that doesn't have a majority of Republican support because, as you have pointed out historically, that's happened so many times in the past. And yes, they were they were frantically trying to flip a couple of votes when it looked like it was going to be a majority against it. At least one vote, at least one, and I don't know for sure who that was. I think I know, and it's been reported by some of my colleagues on who it was, but I don't want to call out someone incorrectly. But yes, someone got flipped, at least one, maybe two or three, and it was 107 to 106 Republicans. So looking at this full picture, this is what disturbs me. Um we had a lot of fights during the Boehner era, but when you look at what they were doing, you take everything we didn't like about the Boehner era, and we are now worse off. We're, you know, there it was once in a while they used the suspension calendar. Now it's always there. We typically got something, and that's why the voting was usually a little bit more skewed. You'd have a number of Democrats vote no. It was somewhere in the middle, and we got the Budget Control Act. Now, you know that. That was undone by, uh, you know, certain administration, the Ryan Murray deal. Um, and then that created a new watershed paradigm where now, really since probably around 2017, 2018, now Republicans start a new thing where every major uh, budget bill, it has unanimous Democrat support, even when they're uh, in control. And, um, you know, definitely more Democrats and Republicans voting for it. So headed forward, where do we go from here? In other words, this is you and I both know that there's a challenge of a, a slim majority, and it wasn't helpful that there's some selfish people that decided to to just leave. I mean, I don't I don't understand. It's not a ten year term; it's a two year term. So you don't you know suddenly get a position ten months later. It's a little bit weird, but nonetheless, fundamentally, what's going on is not a a, a, major, a size of majority issue. It's a values issue. Um, do you believe that as chairman of the Freedom Caucus? that perhaps something of what the South Carolina Freedom Caucus is doing might be an inspiration that we need to directly kind of break ranks and wear different jerseys? Well, I, I will tell you, uh, you know this again better than anybody, but the Democrats have never, would never do what we're doing in the House with a majority, pass legislation, predominantly Democrat votes, or excuse me, in our, if it was them, do it with Republican votes. And you asked this earlier on the segment. You said, hey, uh, what's the hope for the future? What's going to change? And I actually, in the Republican conference this week in our meeting, I think it was Wednesday morning, I challenged that very thing. I said, you know, we keep telling ourselves, we just got to get through this fiscal year. We got to get through these next few weeks and get the government funded. And we got t left with a tough situation by the previous speaker in the calendar because we didn't pass our spending bills before September 30th like we were supposed to. And there's some truth to that. But I said, what's going to be different when we flip the, the calendar, we turn the page, if you will, to the fiscal year 25, which that, you know, yep. the, 
that those bills are due by September 30. I said, we're going to summon some unprecedented, unbeforeseen courage all of a sudden <laughs> with the same narrow majority that we're going to all of a sudden force our will upon the Senate and we're going to hold our ground. And we're going to fight. The Senate's going to say no to every spending reduction <laughs> that we might propose, every policy change that we might propose. September 30 will come and then we're dying to get home to go campaign in election year. We're going to show some courage then. And I finally got the speaker to acknowledge in front of the entire conference, well, they'll change in January of 25. Oh. When we've got the Senate, Lord willing, we've got the House still, Lord willing. I don't think we're earning that, but we've got the House and we've got the White House, Lord willing. But then, as you said, we won't have 60 in the Senate. And then it becomes, instead of, oh, we've got to compromise to get the majority, gosh, now we've got to compromise to keep the majority. You can't go too far. You can't be like yeah. the Democrats and try to ram your agenda through and transform the country into your image. We have to be And, and the reality, Bob, is if you're worried about getting blamed for a shutdown, which is always overrated, but if you are worried, it's a much— the public wouldn't understand if you officially control everything, you look like a fool, whereas now— it's you only have one branch you could block and tackle much more effectively because Biden has to own it. He's very That's ineffective, right. very inarticulate, and it's on an issue that it's indefensible. It's not like the typical, like, okay, we want to reduce spending on programs type of, you know, 1995, 1996 era. By the way, they did expand their majorities after that. So that's a myth, an urban legend in itself. That's but it's right. not like that type of issue where there are a lot of Americans that are reliant on some of these programs. I mean, nobody wants you know, 150 countries, you know, invading the border. Nobody wants that. This is the easiest shutdown fight you'll ever have. This will never change. Um, to, to your point, we we already had the trifecta, and they, they literally did the same thing. That's actually when this era started with Paul Ryan and Steven Mnuchin administration, where they passed every budget bill with more than the Republican support. So this is a new paradigm shift, and my concern is, you know, this will segue to, to you know, I just want to end off with you that, you know, it's been focused on, on, on the primary. It's winding down, but it's not just a presidential primary. We have a lot of these, you know, congressional, senatorial, gubernatorial, state legislative primaries. And what I'm trying to challenge my colleagues, the party, everyone, is if we're going to continue electing the same people in the primaries, because you're right, it's not a Kevin McCarthy issue. It's not a Mike Johnson issue. It's it's a Republican Party issue, and we, we don't have enough Bob Goods. But not only are we not getting rid of them, so now you have a primary challenge in Virginia 5, you know, kind of the southern, western part of the state, conservative part of the state. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because my understanding is that early voting, which is ridiculous in a primary, begins today. Well, you're exactly right. Who we nominate is everything. Who we allow to wear the brand is everything. And I think one positive coming from this, I think to a greater degree than before, perhaps, uh, members of Congress are getting exposed. I think Republican primary voters in particular are seeing the difference. Uh, some of the people who voted against the CR, the continued resolution yesterday, were surprising uh, because they're from the more moderate wing of the party. And so I don't know if that was because it, the bill was so bad that they recognized it and that even they couldn't vote for it, or perhaps it's because they do have a primary challenge mm. and trying to shift their votes to the right for a little bit. But I don't think the American people are fooled. The Republican base is fooled. Republican Party voters are uh, – primary voters, rather, are fooled. And I think they know the difference. And my hope would be that the new candidates we recruit in some of these open seats as members are retiring – 
or in these close uh, Biden, uh, excuse me, Democrat-held seats that that we have a chance to flip, and in some of these primary challenges to members of the Republican side who aren't living up to the, the things that they campaigned on, that we're going to elect more courageous conservative warriors, more freedom fighters, and have a stronger block in what will hopefully be a Republican majority. Uh, and, and hopefully we give them a reason to vote for us come November over these next uh, five months or so, or excuse me, eight months, uh, nine months or so until that time. Uh, but but the, who we nominate is critical uh, and uh, I, I think that I, I trust Republican primary voters to get it right to do a better to, to, to continue to do a better job with that and to flip some of these seats. So now again, this this is Virginia Five and folks is Bob Goodfordcongress dot com. Um, they do have early voting, which has always been mystifying to me to have early voting in a Republican primary. You know, especially a presidential primary where there's candidates that drop in, drop out. It's kind of ridiculous. It's a dynamic process, but it starts. So you know, if you're in Virginia five, just understand. This is a seminal race. Bob, what I'm not understanding here is that um, I've I've recruited candidates to run against incumbents in primaries before. And you have to do it on a shoestring campaign because you can't get money. No one will give you money. Well, so you're an incumbent. So where does the money come from here? Well, and to clarify in Virginia, yes, pri- early voting does begin for the presidential primary. The, our primary is actually a little bit later into okay. June, so ours doesn't start yet. But yes, my opponent is funded by allies of Kevin McCarthy and Eric Cantor, and the swamp is trying to strike back and to punish me, retaliate against me for a willingness to stand up against the status quo, to have the audacity to say, hey, the people and the members ought to pick our speaker, and the speaker serves at the pleasure of 218 members of Congress of the House. And what we were doing before with the Republican majority and continue to do now is unsustainable. And while there's risk involved with forcing change and you know, causing the election of a new speaker. Uh, we know what the certain outcome is, is of the status quo. It's getting us to $36 trillion in debt by this next election, and it's simply unsustainable. And so we had to force change and, and, and work for, for to, to, to change that status quo. Are you concerned that headed forward, here's my concern about the agenda for 2024, is that these guys side by side with screwing us on the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter, they then parlay it into this hero worship with these these hearings where they have each one gets to, you know, tell their staff, all right, you know, get ready to cut the YouTube clip. I'm about to, you know, punch the Democrat in the face. And, um, you know, then they become a big hero on Fox News and everything. Uh, but, you know, that it's going to be Hunter Biden all the time, impeachment all the time. And, you know, each thing in a vacuum, it could have value. Like, there's definitely value to impeaching Mayorkas, but not if you're going to... See, if you impeach Mayorkas to expose the malvolent nature of the administration aiding and abetting the invasion, and you drive that as an as a hammer into the anvil of a defund bill, so then it's very much worth it. But if you're going to go and fund the invasion and, and throw away all of our leverage that we'll ever have to stop it and just do impeachment, I mean... Isn't that failure theater just designed to avoid primary challenges for the people who need them? Indeed it is. Uh, you know, we're sort of like the old commercial, you have one job. Our one job is to fund this government appropriately. We're certainly falling short of that. But right, while we're impeaching Mayorkas, we're voting yesterday to give him billions of dollars to continue to facilitate the border invasion and, frankly, to implement or execute the policies of the president. And you're exactly right. We can't be fooled by the non-material action of the House, 
uh, while on the material action that impacts actually the country in a a significant way, the spending bills and so forth, we're not uh, doing what we say we're going to do. Well, Bob, I mean, I, I really admire, you know, I, I I never heard of you until January of, of last year. And when I saw you standing up there and it really was a very unpopular thing to do, I was like, you know, I'm a big hero here behind a anonymous microphone. But to stand there against your whole party is unbelievable. And now you're continuing to do, do it. Um, almost every incumbent doesn't deserve reelection. But if one does, it's certainly you, Bob Good for Congress dot com. Really looking forward to having you back again soon. All right. Thank you, Daniel. Great to be with you. God bless you, my friend. Take care. God bless. So again, that was Congressman Bob Good. They don't get any better than that. I mean, you roll the dice 500 times in a primary. You will rarely get someone like that. He actually knocks someone off in a primary. Um, and look, you know, uh, I, I, no one's entitled to be reelected. But I think you all know there's nothing natural about what's going on, that he's the one with the challenger and and nobody else. And I, I want to say this to kind of tie in the thesis today, what we started out with earlier. We have to have a vestige that remains some degree of independence, keeps some independence from the flavor of the day, from whatever Fox News is talking about, from whatever the cool kids are promoting, that is the true north and is fighting for what we all say we believe in. If we are now at the point where we will take the people that the establishment wants to gun for, but naturally they'd be heroes in their district for fighting the establishment, and that Eric – notice he said that there's Eric Cantor and Kevin McCarthy money going after him. So they could then go to Trump and say, oh, this guy didn't support you. You supported DeSantis in the primary. So therefore – now, I mean, now we're going to attack him? Anyone, I don't care how much you support Trump, but if you claim to support 1% of the MAGA movement, are you going to allow McCarthy and Eric Cantor types and Mitch McConnell types to knock off our best guys just because inevitably they butted heads with Trump. Because let me tell you something, someone who fully fights the establishment, even if you don't see Trump the way I do, you do, everyone knows I'm not discovering America here. There are some ideological problems with him. You inevitably will be on the other side of him on something. So now you're anti-Trump if you're actually fighting the establishment. That is a disgrace. We could, we could recover from whoever's the nominee, Trump, this, that, and even Nikki Haley. We could recover. I mean, she's not going anywhere, but we could recover from that because we could maintain a minority or even a majority probably within the party that will go a different direction, that will fight her and fight the establishment. But if we are now at the point where we have a panic button for the establishment to go to one man and say, ha, 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 this guy, Chip Roy's a dirtbag, Bob Good's a dirtbag, Matt Rosendale is bad because he he didn't take Trump's call when he was doing exactly what the Trump base wanted him to do. We got a big, big problem. That we can't recover from. And that's the punchline of this week. The primary is what it is. You know, presidential election is what it is. There's a lot of ways that we could maintain our independence. Bob Good is showing that. And certainly the South Carolina Freedom Caucus is showing that. 
and that's where we need to head. So from the bottom of my heart, there has never been something more important than donating to BobGoodForCongress.com. Look, despite the tough week, we had a terrific week. As always, we'll be back same time, same place. Hope you guys have a godly, family-oriented weekend. God bless you all, and thank you for listening.